Well, tonight, as uh, Ifang mentioned, we're going to take a break from the I Love the Church series, and uh, it's really interesting. What we're going to do tonight is uh, we're going we're gonna to dive into Acts chapter 10 and a little bit of Acts chapter 11, and what we're going to see here is um, the emergence of the church in a new way, and uh, if you read um, Acts, uh, the, the first few chapters of Acts, you see the emergence of the early church. Um, as someone uh, even earlier prayed tonight, um, where they shared everything, they put everything in common, they prayed for one another, and the church started to begin to develop um, from, from, the, from the disciples and after the day of Pentecost. But I really love this uh, story in Acts chapter 10. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible because it's, it's the emergence of a church in a new, in a new way. And what we're going to see is that uh, this is the part of the church expansion that, that creates um, a new look for the church, which the church was originally, uh, I don't know if you're all aware of this, but the church was originally uh, for the Jews. So the early church was for the Jews only, and the Gentiles were still considered um, outsiders. They were considered dirty. They were considered sort of all these things by the Jews. And as the church emerged, that hadn't changed, that um, attitude of the Jews towards the Gentiles. And what we're going to see in this story is uh, a guy named Cornelius, who was a centurion. He was a commander of, in the Roman army. And um, uh, Cornelius um, gets instructions. We'll, we'll, we'll read just a minute. He gets instructions from an angel um, to send some of his men to get Peter so that Peter could give them a message. And the message, of course, was the gospel. So we're going to go through this story. There's a lot of great happenings here. What happened with Cornelius was amazing. What happened with Peter and how uh, Cornelius was prepared to hear a message that Peter was going to bring. And Peter was prepared to bring a message to Cornelius, the Gentile. So let's, uh, let's take a look at Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 8. Get that up there? Great. It says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who was called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel, spoke to, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. And he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So one of the things you notice in the scripture is that God, uh, Cornelius is a God-fearing man. So what does that mean at that time? Well, what that meant is that Cornelius as a Gentile was not really uh, able to be accepted into um, Judaism and, um, and in the nation of Israel, as it were. Um, but he did fear the God of Israel. As a Roman, he probably would have been pretty much pressured to uh, follow after the pagan gods of Rome. 
the many pagan gods. And most of the commanders at that time had um, a god that they followed and that their men would follow with him. But um, Cornelius didn't do that. He followed after the God of Israel. And he feared God, um, and he, he worshipped God. And all in his household were uh, as he was. They followed God as well. Um, he was a man of prayer. We saw that. And that was very key. So, um, and the other thing was that he gave alms to the poor. He gave to the needy regularly. And uh, so here's Cornelius. He doesn't really know anything about Jesus yet. He's following the customs of the Jews as much as he can. Well, one of the things, by the way, that distinguishes Cornelius as a God-fearing man, a follower of God, the God of Israel, from a proselyte, which is an actual Gentile convert to Judaism, um, the main difference there is circumcision. So if you were Cornelius, you can understand why he didn't want to take that next step into full Judaism. And uh, so he, he did not do that. Um, but that's also an important distinction for what we're talking about here, about uh, the, the entry of the Gentiles into the church. So... Uh, it's really important to note that Cornelius was not uh, a converted Jew, as it were, from Gentiles into into. He was a true Gentile following after God. And when you look at him as a man of prayer and one who took care of the needy, it's very interesting. Here's a guy that's following after the two main commandments of Jesus. Uh, Jen, can we put up Matthew 22, uh, 37 to 40? Great. So it says this, uh, one of them, an expert in the law, tested him, Jesus, with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So here's Cornelius. Again, he doesn't really know anything about Jesus um, he's following after the, the customs of the Jews and worshiping the God of Israel, but yet he's following the, the most fundamental principles that Jesus lays out for us to obey. Love God and love your neighbor. And he did those two things, and that's why he was visited by this angel. And the angel says to him, your, your um, reverence of God and your, your giving of, uh, of your... Um, funds and, and your time to the needy have come up as a memorial before God. Now, the interesting thing about this, too, is uh, that the angel appears to Cornelius in a vision, right? So uh, there's a couple of kinds of visions. Um, how many, I can't see you very well, how many of you had a vision from God? Anybody experience that kind of thing? I don't see any hands going up over there. No. Wow. Okay. Okay, just in case it happens to you, I want you to be ready. All right, there's two different kinds. Um, one is called a, like an open vision, which is what Cornelius had, which just means your eyes are open, right? You're looking, and boom, here comes this. So I could be sitting here, and this angel's here, but you might not see him, but I do. So that would be an open vision. And that's what happened to Cornelius. And uh, as we'll see in a, minute, in a minute, Peter had a different kind of vision as he was praying, probably with his eyes closed. God showed him something pretty amazing, and we'll get into that a minute, in a minute. Um, so Cornelius, uh, he was a man after God's heart, right? He loved God. 
And uh, not only him, but he was teaching his household to do the same. And he loved his neighbors. And through this, Cornelius was prepared in his heart. He was a servant of God, and he had the heart of Jesus already. So he receives this vision, and uh, the angel uh, told him that Peter would have a message for him. So Cornelius sends uh, uh, two of his servants and one of his most trusted soldiers to go and get um, Peter. So let's move on. Let's take a look at uh, Acts 10, 9 to 17. Got a lot of scripture to go through here today, but it's a cool story. Um, Acts 10, 9 to 17. About noon, whoops, that doesn't look the same. I'll just read it. Uh, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Now, Peter's staying at uh, Simon the Tanner's house, okay? He's visiting with Simon the Tanner, and we'll talk about him in a minute. So he's up on Simon's roof praying. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything that God has made. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, guess who showed up? The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. Now let's talk about this vision. This is really amazing. So this large sheet comes down from heaven that he's looking at. It's filled with all kinds of animals. And you know that according to Jewish custom, there's some animals that were clean and some that were unclean. But they were all together in this huge sheet that came down from heaven. And God says to him, rise up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter is revolted by this. He just can't stand this. What are you talking about? My whole life I've never touched, I've never eaten anything impure. Why are you telling me to do this? And then God kind of shakes him up a little bit and says, don't you call anything impure that I have made clean. All right, let me repeat that again. Don't call anything impure that I have made clean. And he says that three times. He goes through this with Peter three times. And then the, uh, the sheet just gets taken up again. So he's literally sitting there wondering, wow, what was that all about? Is this going to change my menu for lunch today? Uh, what, what's, what's this all about? So he's sitting there just thinking about it. And here comes um, the three men from Joppa, Cornelius' servants. And so here they are. Let's take a look at uh, Acts 10, uh, 18 to 22, verse 18. So uh, these men are standing at the gate out front of the house, and they called out, asking Simon, who was known as, asking Simon, who was known as Peter, uh, if he was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with with them, 
for I have sent them. And Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? And the men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. So, you're Peter. You've just been up on the house. You've just had this amazing visionary experience. And you're kind of coming out of this, you know, vision, wondering what it's about. And here's these three guys just like, hey, you know. And I think Peter was probably a little bit disturbed about it. You know, they're kind of bothering my thoughts. I'm, I'm trying to absorb what God has just shown me here. And then the Holy Spirit says to him, go down and do whatever these men tell you to do. So pretty amazing, right? Not only has Peter seen a vision, but now the Holy Spirit's just given him very specific instructions, right, to go down and do that. So Peter does that. So he steps down and, um, and goes and meets these guys. So let's look at Peter for a minute. Peter was a man of prayer, and here he is just in the middle of the day, right? It's not early morning or not late. He's just taking time out before lunch. He has some time before lunch is being prepared for him, and what does he do? He just naturally goes up and prays. So he's standing on the rooftop praying. And Peter uh, was one of the disciples that was with Jesus. He was at every major event that happened with Jesus, right? You can, you know, go through... Uh, the Gospels, and through the early part of Acts, Peter was there uh, for everything. And of course, uh, he was among the disciples upon whom the Spirit was first poured out on the day of Pentecost, right? So if you recall the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and gave the first sermon. The Spirit poured out upon them. And do you remember, anybody remember what happened on the day of Pentecost? A couple things that happened, right? The Spirit was upon them like tongues of fire, right? And... Uh, the disciples spoke in tongues so that everyone in the audience, no matter where they were from, could understand the message, right? It's pretty amazing. So it's really important that Peter was there on that day because of what's coming here with Cornelius. So Peter had a really good spiritual resume. He was a true follower of Christ, and he also had an amazing heart for following the Lord. So now you've got two guys with, with just amazing hearts for the Lord, um, Cornelius doesn't know the Lord, so to speak, yet, but an amazing heart for God. And so, um, let's, let's turn back to this vision again for a minute. The sheet that came down with all these clean and unclean animals, we're talking about something that has been ingrained into Peter forever, right, as a child and engraved into the Jews forever. So not, not only was, um, were the animals unclean, but what Peter began to realize in the next couple of days, and we'll talk about more, is that the Gentiles were looked at as just as unclean as it would have been for them to eat pork or anything like that. So um, Peter's being prepared here in a number of ways. Simon the Tanner. Anybody know what a tanner does? You guys from Woburn know, right? Woburn Tanners. A tanner... Uh, um, takes uh, leather and treats, uh, treats skins and turns it into leather, right? It's a pretty nasty process. It's very smelly, and uh, it's not very nice. And so because of that, tanners were very, very low on the pecking order of society. 
all right? So here's Peter. Where does he happen to be staying? At a tanner's house, right? If anybody of, of Peter's friends knew that he was staying at a tanner's house, they would have given him a really hard time. So P Peter's already sort of getting, you know, um, acclimatized, I guess, as it were, to uh, things that are a bit unclean. Have any of you ever seen the TV show Monk? Right? You know that? It's really funny. You see the guy, he goes up to the, the doorknob and he, he puts his hand in his coat jacket and he, and he, and he turns the doorknob to open it because he doesn't want to touch the doorknob. And if anything dirty, he just freaks out if he touches anything dirty. Well, you've seen that, right? Can you imagine that's what the Jews felt like with this whole clean and unclean thing, right? So now here come these three Gentile guys into Simon uh, the Tanner's house, and, um, and Peter receives them in. And so he would have been feeling a bit like monk right about then, right? Like, okay, uh, God told me to listen to you guys, so come on in. Well, let's take, a, let's take a look at these three guys for a minute. They came from Cornelius' house in, um, in Caesarea down to Joppa. Anybody know how far that is? It's 30 miles, okay? So if you do a little quick math here, if you look at the scriptures closely, what you'll find is that the angel came to uh, Cornelius in the late afternoon. So you give him a couple hours to get his men together, get, tell him the story, give him instructions, and send them down to Joppa. So they probably left at 5 in the afternoon. Well, Peter was getting ready for lunch, right? He was hungry. He was waiting for lunch. So that means those guys traveled the 30 miles from 5 in the afternoon by noon the next day. That's a long way, right? I don't, I don't think I'd want to. I'm sure they slept, but 30 miles in you know, probably 18 hours is, a, is, is quite a trek. So um, they were probably exhausted when they got there. So Peter invites them in and, um, and asks them to stay with uh, Simon the Tanner. Now, let's, let's take a look at that in the, next, uh, in the next part of Scripture here, Acts 10, uh, uh, let's see, 23 to 27. So Peter invites the men into the house to be his guests, and the next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. And the following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reference. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. So before we get to Cornelius' house... Just want to say it was pretty interesting that Peter invites these three men uh, to be his guests at somebody else's house. All right. How many of you ever have you guys stayed with a friend? Right. You go and you you travel. You stay with a friend. Would you feel a little bit awkward if you went out and you met a couple people and and you invited them to spend the night at your friend's house? That's a little awkward, right? I'd feel a little awkward if you were at my house and invited strangers to come to my house for sure. Um, so that's exactly what Peter did. And Simon the Tanner was no doubt a Jew. And so here's Peter inviting these Gentiles into Simon's house. Can you spell awkward, right? So they were tired. They fed them. They got rest. And I think during that time, what Peter did, and Pe th this is really not very well spelled out here, 
But what Peter did in that time while those guys were resting and hanging out, he went out and recruited six other guys to go with him up to Caesarea to Cornelius' house. Now, why would he do that? Protection? <laughs> no. Um, Peter doesn't know what's going to happen, but I think he senses something pretty big is going to happen. And he wants witnesses, right? So it's very interesting. There's going to be seven of them that go up there. And so as we looked at in uh, verses 23 to 27, they traveled back from Joppa back up to Caesarea, and they arrived at Cornelius' house. Within 72 hours, those three guys have walked 60 miles. That's, I couldn't do that. Could you guys do that? 60 miles in three days? Um, I tried to do that once, by the way, and I was not successful. Uh, I, I, I entered into a, a walk for the Red Cross in, of all places, Hong Kong. And it was uh, 100 kilometers, raising money for charity, 62 miles. And uh, I made it 20 miles before I collapsed, basically, and had to, <laughs> and had to drop off. So these guys ran, did the whole 60 miles. So um, Peter, along that walk, that long walk with these guys, gets to know them, right? He gets to hear their stories. He gets to hear about Cornelius. He gets to hear about Cornelius' heart for the poor. He gets to hear how Cornelius is a man of prayer. Peter is being prepared this whole time, right? He's being prepared by the vision, right? He's being prepared by even staying at Simon the Tanner's house. And he's spending time with these unclean Gentiles and probably starting to think, you know, these guys are all right. These guys are pretty cool. Uh, They're not as nasty as I might have thought that they were. And so he gets to Cornelius' house, and um, what was the first thing that happened when he gets to Cornelius' house that we just read? Cornelius fell down at Peter's feet as if to worship him. And Peter says, look, get up. I'm just a man like you are. Um, and then, um, we'll see in a minute, he asks, why did you send for me? So let's take a look at, uh, let's take a look at the Acts 10, 28 to 33. And uh, Peter said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. Very interesting, he says there. As God has shown me, I should not call any man impure or unclean. Where the vision was animals, right? So uh, he's been thinking about this for a few days. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius answered, Four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately... And it was good of you to come. (laughs) Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. So Cornelius had instructions. He had instructions from the angel. Send the men. 
to Joppa, get Peter, and then he was uh, obedient to those instructions to, to then tell Peter when he was there, you have a message that we need to hear. I, wa I want to hear this message that you have. Peter was obedient as well. In the face of every cultural objection that he should have had to go to Caesarea, to Cornelius, he was uh, given the vision and he was instructed by the Holy Spirit to go. And he did not hesitate. It just said in the scripture, Peter said, I did not hesitate to come when you sent for me. So here you've got two guys with tremendous hearts for God, and they've both been obedient to things that are well beyond their comfort zone. So Peter enters into Cornelius' house. This is another huge deal. It's one thing to invite a Gentile into your house, and it's another thing to walk along the road with a Gentile. But to enter into the home of a Gentile was totally taboo. And that's exactly what Peter did. Um, and so here we are. All of this has happened. Cornelius has been visited by an angel. Peter has seen this tremendous vision. He's been instructed by the Holy Spirit. He spent a, a, a day or two on the road to get there. And Cornelius tells him, you have a message for us. We want to listen to what you have to say. So he enters into his house, and there's a large group of people there waiting for him. And uh, let's take a, verse, a look at verse 34. And take a look at the verse, the first word of that. It says, then Peter began to speak. As if it was very matter of fact, right? Two or three days have gone by. Peter's been thinking about this vision. He's been thinking about the uncleanness of the Gentiles. He's been thinking about God's message not to call anything impure that I have made clean. And he's standing in front of these Gentiles, and it's a moment of truth. Will he bring the gospel message to the Gentiles? Now, put yourself in Peter's shoes for a minute. He's going to end up back in Jerusalem one of these days, right? And if he does this, he's going to have to answer for a lot. He's going to have to answer for the fact that he's gone into the house, with a, uh, the house of a Gentiles, that he spent time with Gentiles. And to give the gospel message to Gentiles? I mean, Peter's standing there, this moment of truth. This is probably the longest then that you could ever imagine. There he is standing there. But Peter is obedient, and he does speak. Peter says, I now realize... And by the way, this, this is the message, right? This is the message right here that he gives. It's a very simple message. It's very straightforward. And uh, we'll see how Cornelius and his household react to this message. Then Peter, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God has raised him from the dead and on the third day caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is it. Three men have traveled 60 miles. Peter's traveled 30 miles for this. If you had a stopwatch right now, I did this a couple of times, it takes exactly one minute to, give, to, to read what I just read, to give that simple message. He doesn't hit these people with a big theological uh, overview of the Bible. He doesn't hit them with all this uh, you know, difficult to understand stuff. He relates to them. He acknowledges the conversations that he had on the road with the guys. It's, he says, you know what happened throughout Judea. So he's, just, he's making reference to the fact that, hey, when we were talking, and I, and I asked you about this, you knew what happened in, in Judea. And they said, you also knew that God anointed Jesus of, Naz of Nazareth with power. So um, I said that they didn't know Jesus in the sense that we know him, but they knew about Jesus. They had heard about it. And so he aims his message to them with a very specific aim that says and shows that he spent time with them. He understands where they're coming from, only, even though they've only been, he's only been at Cornelius' house a short time. He then describes how he and the other disciples were witnesses of everything that Jesus did. So he's giving an eyewitness testimony of the things that he's speaking about in this message, namely the, the, uh, the miracles of Jesus, his death and resurrection, and the fact that he came back uh, after his resurrection and spent time with them, that Jesus spent time with the disciples and ate with them and drank with them. And lastly, Peter gives the heart of the gospel message. All, all who believe in him, all who believe in Jesus, receive forgiveness in his name. But the interesting thing is, Peter doesn't actually give them or call them to repentance in this message. He just tells them that if you believe in Jesus, that you'll receive forgiveness of sins. And the whole idea of repenting never really comes up, right? He doesn't even mention it. Maybe he never got the chance. Let's look at verses 44 to 46. While Peter was still speaking these words, while he's still speaking this one-minute message, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. 
So Peter hadn't even finished speaking this message. I mean, it almost sounds a little bit rude, right? Give me one minute anyway, right? But uh, the Spirit of God falls upon the people, and they start speaking in tongues. And uh, it was clear that this was an amazing event. The guys that Peter brought with him were standing there with their jaws wide open. They couldn't believe what happened. When Cornelius and his household received the Holy Spirit, they all began to speak in tongues. Now, as you read through the book of Acts, what you'll see is that quite often, especially in the, in the early days of the church, is that when a believer became, uh, when a believer accepted Jesus or when a spirit came into his heart, Jesus came into his heart, um, they often manifested the gift of tongues um, right there on the spot. And in fact, um, for Peter and the early disciples, the early apostles, speaking in tongues was really for them uh, the evidence that the believer had really made a, a, a true step of faith. It was an undeniable confirmation that God, out, God had poured out his spirit onto that person. And in this case, it was an undeniable confirmation that God has poured his spirit out on the Gentiles. So this is amazing. And um, it was really confirming the fact that God was fulfilling his promise to bring all nations unto him, right? You know that, right? His promise to Abraham. Speaking in tongues at that time was, like I said, the confirmation of the Spirit coming on the people. And in fact, when Philip preached to the Samaritans and they believed, it was a big problem because they did not speak in tongues. And it was such a, uh, a problem that Philip uh, sent for Peter and John to come and check it out. And I don't know if you remember that story, but basically when Peter and John showed up in Samaria... Um, they laid hands on the new believers, and then they actually did speak in tongues. So um, now, I would like to make a point about that. Um, speaking in tongues is a sign of the indwelling of the Spirit inside a believer. It is not the sign, and uh, I would venture to guess that there's many or most of you here who do not speak in tongues yet. I'm sure you are believers, right? <laughs> So, um, but there are some denominations that would hold um, that if you don't speak in tongues, that you have not been baptized with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit does not dwell within you. And um, so I would say that that's not really what Scripture says, um, but it is a sign, and um, I think it is a sign that is still alive in the church today, although we don't see it very much. So if you don't speak in tongues, don't worry. Uh, if you've placed your faith in Jesus as a savior for, for as your savior for forgiveness of sins, you have been saved and redeemed into the household of God. So, with such a clear confirmation that the Gentiles had been included into the household of God, and that Cornelius and his household were born again of God's Spirit, Peter asked if anyone could forbid that these new believers would be baptized. Let's take a look at verses 47 and 48. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So 
Peter baptized these new believers, and he, I'm sure he did stay with them, with them for a few days, and he probably spent all of his time teaching them about this new faith that they've just stepped into and celebrating. I mean, I can't imagine how Peter and his, his six friends would have been celebrating that they were there for the outpouring of the Spirit onto the Gentiles, the expansion of the church into a new area that had uh, a new area of people, a new people that had never been uh, seen before. Um, and like I said, this event was also the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise that God had made to Abraham. Let's take a look at Genesis 26, 4, and we'll see how long uh, that um, this promise had been waiting to be fulfilled. This was made to Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth would be blessed. Now, it's very interesting that the nation of Israel, when they were, um, you know, taking over the promised land and, and kicking out all of the, uh, the ites from the promised land, that they were the chosen people, right? They were the nation of God. They were the only nation of God. And did anybody ever sort of, you know, look back into their scriptures once in a while and say, well, all nations on earth will be blessed. All nations will come to, to know God. And so um, this is just, I, I just love this story because if it wasn't for um, the obedience of Peter and Cornelius through all of this, um, you know, the Gentiles um, might not have been included uh, in, in the nation of God. Well, I wouldn't say that because God always has a plan B, right? So, um, but Peter and Cornelius were obedient and because of that, you and I, as Gentiles, are able to be uh, a key parts of the kingdom of God. And that's really exciting. That's why I love this story. Um, Peter and Cornelius were prepared, each in their own ways, but the common thread of their preparation was prayer. Um, both were obedient to all that God asked them to do in those few days, but each were obedient to the most important of the commandments, to love God and to love your neighbor. And each of the, these men had their hearts in the right place. Peter came with a simple message, and he had the boldness, and he had the courage to bring it to the Gentiles. Uh, and, and it was a lot of courage, and we're going to see just how much courage he needed uh, in a minute because uh, he was going to face some pretty heavy um, opposition when he got home. Cornelius and his household responded immediately to this message, to this message of salvation, and their hearts were ready to receive it. The fruit was immediately evident. The Holy Spirit just fell upon them. And the church was forever redefined to include both Jews and Gentiles. This event marks God's uh, faithfulness to fulfill his, a promise to Abraham and God's faithfulness to us that we would not be aliens or outsiders to the kingdom of God. Let's take a look at 2 Peter 1.3. So our uh, Peter uh, that we've just been talking about wrote this in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world caused by evil desires. Now, this is great. When you become a born-again believer and God's Spirit rests within you, think about this. You become a partaker, a participant in the divine nature. 
You have something in you now. You're a part of something that is divine, that's holy, that is so far beyond what you and I can imagine. But you have that, and you can partake in that. We are born again of God's spirit, and we are now spiritual beings. We are partakers in this divine nature because of God's promise to the Gentiles and bringing the Gentiles into his church. And we are all brought together as one in Christ, right? So Ephesians chapter 2, 18 to 21 says, For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit, both being Jews and Gentiles. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Peter writes about this too, that as we become believers, as the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we become members of a temple, right? Jesus is the cornerstone, and we are each a part of a living temple um, that is really defines God's church. Let's take a look at how the church reacted to Peter when he came home. In Acts chapter 11, we're going to look at a few verses in Acts chapter 11. Um, verses 1 to, 8, 1 to 18, um, Peter goes back to Jerusalem, and um, he has to address uh, his, uh, his fellow apostles and brothers in the Lord when he gets there. So Acts 11, 1 to 18 says this, The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. And then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And a voice spoke from heaven a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up into heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. And the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and, when we, entered the man, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. So Peter goes to Jerusalem, and the first thing that happens is he gets a really hard time. Now, the circumcised believers that they were talking about there was um, really the people who were still zealous for the law, right? 
Jesus came that we might be set free from the law, right? And that we would live under grace. And by following those two rules, love God and love your neighbor, everything else falls in line, right? We don't have to worry about not stealing. We don't have to worry about um, um, any of those other um, Ten Commandments. It's just you do them automatically when you follow those two rules. Um, But these circumcised believers were still zealous for the law, which was you don't eat anything unclean. You don't do this. You don't do that. You don't do this. So when Peter shows up, they just give him a really hard time. But the Holy Spirit was there when Peter tells him this story. And the naysayers are just quietened. It's fantastic. So um, the other thing that was very interesting, it says uh, in that text, that Peter is with the six brothers who are witnesses with him at Cornelius' house. And he begins to explain everything that happened and how the Spirit fell upon them, right? And he had these six witnesses with him. So you can imagine if Peter was by himself, right? And if he was obedient, but he just went by himself and he showed up in Jerusalem, they might have said, yeah, well, who says, you know? (laughs) But he had six brothers there with him to testify as to what the amazing thing that had happened there. He tells everything exactly as it happened. He didn't change anything. I mean, you could imagine that Peter might have changed the story a little bit. He might have said, well, I went to Cornelius' house, and then I invited them all out into the yard because I didn't want to go in the house, right? But he didn't say that. He just, he just gave them it as, it, as it was. He didn't leave anything out. And he invokes his six friends as witnesses of everything that happened. So Peter ends up being a very reliable witness to everything that happened at Cornelius' house. So these naysayers were silenced. And not only that, they praised God and fully accepted the fact that the Gentiles were now a part of the church. Oh, that's pretty amazing. When you belong to an exclusive club, one of the things that makes your club exclusive is the fact that a lot of people can't get into it, right? And that's what kind of makes the club cool for you, that you're in and they're not. And so basically what Peter came back and said was, oh, by the way, this club that we have called Judaism or Christianity, Jesus came to bring Christianity to the Jews, right? So that was what they were operating under, that we have a new form of Judaism, which is now following Jesus. But it's still for the nation of Israel. And Peter shows up and says, no, it's for the Gentiles too. And that must have been tough for them to hear when all their uh, lives they've been sort of in this special club in the kingdom of Israel. But not only do they accept it, they praise God for it. Now, you, you can read further in Acts, and this becomes a problem in many ways. But for this moment, at that moment in time, they fully accepted the fact and glorified God for it. So Peter was prepared for this moment through his life experience, right? But more specifically through his time, remember, with Simon the Tanner and spending time with the three Gentiles and, and, um, in the house and then also walking with them. And Cornelius was prepared through his devotion to God and through his continual um, service to the needy. And Peter was also prepared most importantly by the vision that he had 
which changed his view of what clean and unclean was and by the urging of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to what these men had to say. And Cornelius was prepared through the message that came directly to him from an angel. And they were both obedient to do the things that they were asked to do. Cornelius was obedient. Peter was obedient. And Peter was prepared through all of his life experience up to that point as a disciple and as apostle to bring this simple message. It was very simple. Remember, it was only one minute long. He traveled all that way to give a 60-second message. But Cornelius and his family were prepared and their hearts were ready to receive that message. So the question that comes up for us now is, are we prepared? What are we prepared for? I mean, we're talking about the early church and what could be more apt looking here at Genesis, right? Also, the early church, right? Genesis getting ready to launch out as a new church. And it's really important to ask this question. Are we prepared? Where's your heart? Cornelius's heart was uh, right after God. Peter's heart was fired up after God. Where's your heart? Are you ready for an assignment from the Lord? If the Holy Spirit came to you tonight and had an assignment for you, would you be obedient? I mean, the obedience that these two men had in doing what they did was incredible. And an incredible blessing ensued from that. How's your prayer life? Cornelius was a man of prayer. Peter was a man of prayer, as we, uh, as we could see from his vision. Are you preparing yourself to hear from God? Question I have for you, actually, do you believe that you can actually hear from God? I mean, do you believe that? Do you expect that when you pray that God will answer you? Now, I don't know where all of you are on that question, but I can tell you that if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you have a relationship with God, he wants to speak to you. A relationship is not a one-way street. You know, praying is up, right? We pray all the time. You know, we praise, we, we ask for things. Um, but God wants to have a conversation with you. And the way we have, communicate, or any of us communicate, is that we talk and we listen. So do you believe that God can speak to you? Do you believe that God wants to speak to you? And do you believe that God, um, that you can hear God's voice? Are you putting the word of God into your heart so that you can be prepared to give a simple message like Peter? Right? It doesn't have to be the same message as Peter, and it shouldn't be the same message as Peter. Peter didn't even talk about repentance in that message. But you might come up to someone who really needs repentance in their lives. And, you know, are you prepared to talk about what that means? So have you been putting God's word into your heart, and are you ready to, um, to speak about those things? One person might need to hear about sin and repentance, another about the majesty of God and how awesome he is. Another person might just want to hear your story. And that's enough to convince them, just tell me what it takes to be saved. Another tough question, we all hate the O word, obedience, right? If you sense the Lord leading in a particular way, are you ready to obey, as I asked a minute ago? And if you do obey, do you obey begrudgingly? 
or are you obedient with grace, full of faith, and with trust, even in the tough of a even in the face of a tough request? A lot of the assignments that we get from God will make you tremble with fear. I can't do that, or you're asking me to go way outside of my comfort zone. Well, guess what? Almost every time God asks you to do something, what's he going to do? Pull you outside of your comfort zone, okay? But the trust part in that comes from the fact that that Holy Spirit that dwells within you will empower you to overcome that fear and to be obedient. And then what happens? The fruit of your obedience will be immediately evident most of the time, not always, but will um, oftentimes be immediately uh, evident. Another challenging question is, do you have a simple message? Do you really understand the gospel and what it means? Have you made it your own? In other words, do you have your own eyewitness account of what God's done in your life that you're ready to share with someone at the drop of a hat? If someone said, hey, you're a little bit different than other people I know. What makes you tick? Are you ready to give that story? And it doesn't have to be a big, long thing, right? 60 seconds can be enough to uh, change a person's heart, especially when the Holy Spirit's preparing the ground before you. And can you be flexible enough with that message that you have to meet the needs of the person that you're talking to? I can't stress this enough. I mean, I've gotten to know a lot of you people in here, and you're all wonderful. You're all different. Every one of you is as different from the other as, as anything we can imagine. And the same in, in, the, in the hope body. The people that I have as friends are so amazingly different from each other. And they all have different needs and different wants. And they will all respond to the gospel message in a different way. And they need to hear it in a different way. So having a canned response is not really the right way to witness we need to listen to the Spirit, and we need to be attentive to the needs of that person, right? Because you, you want to be able to, to go to where their heart is, not where your heart is necessarily. Peter and Cornelius were ordinary guys, and that's what we kind of lose track of in stories like this. You think, wow, I mean, Peter was an apostle. He had this vision from God. The Holy Spirit was talking to him. He was a holy man. I could never be like that. No, Peter was a regular guy. Cornelius was a regular guy. Um, Peter, I'm sure, was afraid and trembling at that moment. Remember the then, right, when he was sitting there ready to talk, that that then was tough for him. Um, he was, he was as, just as afraid as you and I would have been in that situation. But they were ordinary men in an extraordinary move of God. Right? And that's always the way it is. Ordinary men doing extraordinary things under the direction and the power of God. So how about you? Chances are that you're an ordinary person and maybe you have ordinary problems. Maybe you have extraordinary problems. I don't know. Um, but do you want God to do extraordinary things through you? And are you in partnership with the Holy Spirit? This is a big question. Are you worthy of having God work directly through you? No. As judged by your skills, by your accomplishments, and by what you can do, you're not worthy 
you're not even close to worthy of having God work through you. But by the redeeming blood of Christ who washes you clean and prepares you for every good work, you are worthy. Maybe you think you're an extraordinary person. If you think you're an extraordinary person, I have a newsflash for you. God doesn't need you. That sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? But if you're an extraordinary person, God doesn't need you. God doesn't need your talents and your skills. When an ordinary person with a particular, with no particular gifting does extraordinary things by the power of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, the people that know that person will know one thing. He couldn't have done that by himself. There's no way he could have done that by himself. That was God. If you're an extraordinary person and you do an extraordinary thing, people would expect that. And that's why Peter and Cornelius as ordinary men um, just makes us all the more amazing. So in this way, um, we as ordinary men and ordinary women can glorify God who deserves the highest praise, the highest honor, and he deserves all the glory. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for um, how you fulfilled your promise to expand your church. Lord, that you would bring all nations to you, that uh, the, the number of the saints would uh, outnumber the, the grains of sand in the sea. Lord, thank you for fulfilling that promise to Abraham. And thank you for fulfilling that promise that we here in this room might sit here and be able to say that we are partakers of the divine nature, that we can come before the throne of the holy God, that we can be, in your eyes, uh, righteous, and that you can look upon us with favor, and that we are washed uh, white as snow. Lord, I just thank you for um, the gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray for each person here tonight that you would touch their hearts and that you would encourage each one of us to be uh, obedient, that you would prepare us for uh, the day that you would give us an assignment, um, uh, small or large. And uh, Lord, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would give us the courage to be obedient when that call comes. And uh, Lord, uh, I also look forward to the testimonies that will come from this group for all that you do in and through your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.